morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, and today, Thursday, the 15th of December, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Gambia's president-elect Adama Barrow tells VOA that he's concerned for his security because he has not been assigned official security by the government. I'm concerned about my security because I'm using my local security. Uh, security I was using during the campaign. I don't have official security. I'm still uh, Gambia's president-elect Adama Barrow speaking to VOA. And in Uganda, members of parliament from the Renzori region say that they're in the process of filing a case with the Hague-based International Criminal Court, ICC, over recent attacks by the government forces on the palace of their king. First of all, these people were killed by government security authorities. We are holding the commanders of this operation accountable for every life lost. Robert Centenary is a member of parliament from Uganda's Renzori region. And in South Sudan, President Salva Kiir asked the South Sudanese to forgive him for past mistakes. The president made the apology during an end-of-year speech before the National Legislative Assembly. Those stories and more are coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Gambia's president-elect Adama Barrow tells VOA that he's concerned for his security because he has not been assigned official security to protect him by the government. In an exclusive interview with The Voice of America, Mr. Barrow also says that President Yaya Jame does not have legitimate powers to nullify the election results. The overall situation in my country uh, is a little bit uh, difficult. Difficult in the sense that the president called to conceive defeat, and uh, all of a sudden there was a turnaround. He made the statement that we have cancelled the election, we have annulled it, and we will hold first elections. That makes it a little bit complex. Uh, but uh, we are very mature to calculate our steps. He uh, made a statement. Uh, telling him that he is not the authority to cut the election. He doesn't have those powers, and whatever he is doing is illegal. Uh, and let him accept defeat, as he has called me to say our system of voting is the best in the world. I think he should stick to that. Do, do you feel secure right now, Mr. Barrow? Well, I'm still, I'm still concerned about my security because I'm using my local security, uh, the security I was using during the campaign. I don't have official security. I'm still concerned about my security. Yesterday, four heads of state visited the country to talk to Mr. Jameh out of his position. You have also met with members of this delegation. Their plea didn't have any impact. Uh, tell us more about the, the meeting you have with them. The meeting, I think, was a very good meeting. They wanted to find out the facts from uh, all parties, including the Electoral Commission. Uh, that happened, and uh, I think we put our message across. The message was very, very clear. I am the president-elect. Yeah, is the outgoing president. He accepted defeat, congratulated me, and uh, turned around and uh, said he has uh, annulled the elections again. So... Uh, he is contradicting himself. I think uh, that have uh, that have not uh, favoured him at all. I think it is going against him. So, Mr. Jame is now seeking to 
uh, overturn the election in court, knowing that the Supreme Court now is not fully constituted. How do you see the outcome of this dispute right now? There is nothing like the Supreme Court. It can be fully passed one year. The name is there, but the injustice is not happening. Uh, up to now, they don't even have enough judges for the Supreme Court. So I think this is a non-starter. The best thing is let him accept reality and uh, accept that he has lost the election. And that's it. According to the coalition, shortly after Mr. Jameh conceded, the head of the Gambian army, Osman Jaji, spoke with you and he pledged his allegiance to you, but uh, apparently later on he changed his mind. How do you see the, the military support right now and do you think it's going to change? Uh, he called me to congratulate him in his own words. He said he supported the president government because he was, he was elected in office. Now he is defeated and we are supporting you as the incoming president. We supported Germany 100%. He will support you 250%. Uh, officially, I don't hear anything officially that he has said that he has changed his mind. But I will follow the news and get the clear distinction. But as far as I'm concerned, I think he has given me his support. Why do you think Mr. Jamie has changed his mind? What is your, your own interpretation of what happened? I wouldn't know exactly why he changed his mind, uh, but I think it was a mistake. And maybe some people convinced him, talked to him to change his mind. Well, I don't know. But I think overall it's a, it's a mistake. Is it because he fears prosecution after you take power? I don't think so. Because uh, in, my own, in my interviews, I would mention something like that. Uh, what I always say... Uh, David Nigeris, he is a Gambian, and we treat him as a former president in this country. If South Africa can be reconciled, I see no reason why it cannot happen to Gambia. As far as I'm concerned, I think that is not something that we are telling uh, the media, and in all my interviews, I make it very, very clear. Adam Ambaro, the president-elect of the Gambia, and following what many say was an unsuccessful visit yesterday by ECOWAS leaders to the Gambia to try and persuade Yaya Jame to concede defeat in the recent elections, there is political uncertainty as to what happens next. From Dakar in neighboring Senegal, Seine Marena sent us this report. For 22 years, President Jame ruled the Gambia with an iron fist. Uh, human rights groups and the UN often accuse him of human rights violations, including state-sponsored disappearance and torture. He won four elections from 96, but on December 2nd, Jame experienced a shock defeat by a coalition of eight opposition parties led by Adama Barrow. And even more shocking than the defeat, the longtime ruler went on state television less than 24 hours after the declaration of result to call his opponent to concede defeat and to congratulate him. Sarif Bojan Jr. is a government journalist and head of English Division of West Africa Democracy Radio. He has been living in exile in Dakar for the past 10 years. His hope of returning home has been dashed by Jamie Rivusal to step down. I was um, finally thrilled. I was so excited. I was just so over the moon that finally I was going home. With Jamie conceding defeat, I celebrated. I did all kind of celebration thinking that I was going home finally. And then came his rejection of the election results a few days later, which put everything, you know, in danger, in chaos at the moment. And then that means I have to stay away from the country for as long as it takes for him to leave power. 
Another Gambian, Fatu Jan Sangor, is the director of Dakar-based Freedom of Expression group Article 19. She also raised concerns on the future of the Gambia, but remained hopeful something tangible will come out of it. It's a very difficult situation, but uh, we are cautiously optimistic, optimistic in a sense that Gambian people have spoken. They have decided to, during the election, to vote for a new president. The outgoing president, Yaya Chame, accepted that. So the situation that we are in is quite unprecedented and I think it's very important that the international community, as they started to do, remain seized on this very critical matter. Rat activists, state named Ratsa, also fled the Gambia after taking part in April protests that led to the jailing of opposition leader Usainu Dabo and the killing of youth leader Solo Sande. Talking about the people taking the power, it's about boycotting everything. Don't go to work. Don't work for the government right now because it's even risky. Don't go to school. The universities have to be shut down and everything uh, that is government-related shouldn't be utilized. Because I don't believe that, okay, if we keep on uh, writing on social media and everything, it's good uh, to awaken the conscience of the people. But it's high time also in January, our, our president needs us on the ground. Meanwhile, the Gambia Bar Association and many civil society groups in the Gambia issue a statement condemning the president's decision to challenge the result and calling him to step down. Lawyer Sheriff Tambedu is the interim president of the group. The said statement of the outgoing president contravenes the provisions of Section 49 of the 1997 Constitution of the Republic of the Gambia. And in our considered opinion, it is an abrogation of the Constitution and an attempt to subvert the legitimate decision of the people of the Gambia. Further, this action is tantamount to treason under the provisions of Section 6 of the Constitution. The spokesperson of the coalition, Halifa Sal, also told journalists in Banjul, all is not lost as mediation effort continue. We should maintain the constitutional provisions of the country to know that his uh, President Jami is still the outgoing president. He is effectively the president of the country. And uh, incoming President Barrow should cancel our supporters to prepare for the transition phase and to prepare to assume office after the expiration of the term of office of the incumbent. Has sub-regional mediation effort continued to end the impasse? Uncertainty and fear loom in the small country surrounded on three sides by Senegal. ECOWAS leaders will meet on Saturday in the Nigerian capital, Abuja, to discuss further on what step they would take on the game. Reporting for Daybreak on VOA, I am Seni Marena in Dakar. In Uganda, members of parliament from the Renzori region say that they are in the process of filing a case with the Hague-based International Criminal Court, ICC, over recent attacks by government forces on the palace of their king. The attack is said to have claimed the lives of over 100 people and the arrest of many others, including the king, Charles Wellesley Mumbere. Robert Centenary is one of the members of parliament representing that region. He tells me that they have already met with the registrar of the ICC who was visiting Kampala to learn the procedures necessary to file a case with the court. We had the first contact with the registrar of the ICC to make him, for him to make us understand the process of petitioning. But he did not seem comfortable to interact with us when we really understand that he was under pressure. But uh, one thing I can point out to you is that what he did confirm to us is that ICC has a liaison officer 
who helps the prosecutor, and we are supposed to go there and file our petition so that the case can be taken up. Now, would it make sense for you to take the case to the local courts? You know, I don't think it would make sense because, first of all, these people were killed by government security authorities. We are holding the commanders of this operation accountable for every life lost. In this case, you can see that even the president is involved as commander-in-chief. So you're saying that you don't have confidence in, in the local courts, in the, in the judiciary, to, to be able to adjudicate this case uh, fairly because of uh, undue influence from, from the president's office? Yes, we think the courts will not be able because, first of all, the president's office has taken a stand through various departments against the Vaconzo. They have called them bandits, they have called them terrorists, they have called them all sorts of names, and they say they deserved it. So there is no way you can expect justice from such a system. And that's why we're going to a more neutral court. You, you are a member of parliament from that region, from that area. Have you had time to go talk to, to your people? What, what, what kind of demands do they have uh, uh, when you talk to them? Well, we have also been accused of masterminding conflict in the area. And there is no way we can start going there to talk to the people because, in a way, they would misunderstand us to be either mobilizing or inciting people. So we've given it time for a healing process. And until government comes up and says, Cassese is now safe, then we can go into that healing process. But otherwise, as we speak now, there is tension in the population. You cannot even speak to anybody, by the way. What is the status of the king at this moment? Well, he has been committed to a magistrate's court in Jinja, but as you know, it does not have shown over those offenses that they have slapped uh, against the king and the other accused persons. We are waiting for him to be committed to the right court, and then the trial can start. Do you have confidence that the ICC will take on your case, Mr. Centenary? We do not see a reason why ICC should not take on our case, because it is supposed to litigate in crimes against humanity. If they can prosecute Dominic Ongwen, who was a child combatant, and abducted that, how about another? Robert Centenary is a member of parliament from the Renzori region, home of the Renzuru kingdom. Meanwhile, the king of that region, Charles Wellesley Mumbere, who was arrested after the attack on his palace, was yesterday charged with terrorism at a hearing in Jinja, a town in the eastern part of the country. And still in Uganda, a case currently being had at the ICC involving a former commander of the Lord's Resistance Army has put the spotlight on that part of the country that was devastated by the war. Located 300 kilometers from the Uganda's capital, Kampala, Gulu town suffered during the many years of rebel conflict. But as reporter Mugume Davis Arguakarinji found during a recent visit, Gulu town is now bustling with activity and new development. It is midnight in Gulu and Simon Peter Ongot is entering the Buganda pub for a late supper. It is one of the popular bars around town and operates 24 hours a day around the clock. Hundreds of other restaurants, bars and hotels have been constructed in the town and most of them operate 24 hours a day. 
Just last year, a multi-million modern market was inaugurated by Uganda's president, Yoel Museveni, Ilai Road Division in Gulu Municipality. The market, which accommodates about 4,000 people, including Ongot, was built at a cost of 28 billion Uganda shillings, or about $7 million. The now 26-year-old businessman says life was very hard during the airline insurgency. In fact, Ongot says it took him 10 years instead of 7 to complete primary school at Pakwela Primary School. My studies almost even broke off because I had to first hold on and then because where I was actually studying, LRA could come and attack every day, every day during daytime, so we had to first quit studies. You are really fearing for, for LRA to maybe have abducted us. So we always leave school and we just keep around town and then or maybe in camps, yeah. A few meters away from Uganda pub, other people are engaged in different activities, including a 24-year-old Ojen who works at a gas station, one of the many that have been built during the peaceful years after the LRA insurgency. Ojen, who pumps fuel at this station, works in the night shift with a few of his colleagues, while others work during their time. This day I'm free. I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. Just work freely, even with this place, there is nothing I can fear. Still money. Ten years ago, travel at night was almost unimaginable, says Duncan Odoch, who works with Mewa Bus Company, one of the dozen bus companies that ply the Gulu Kampara route. Daily. Those days we close business at seven, latest at seven, but normal at six. Like at this station, normally we close here at, 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 at one in the night, and you just move freely back home. That year old Vicky Anyeko is one of the passengers traveling to Kampala. She prefers to do her work of telling during the daytime and just travel at night. Uh, we travel in the morning. Even that travel, it can stop at at, at the daytime, not at night. We are fear they are attacking the, on the way, going to Kampala ambush. Now we don't fear. At times during the insurgency, some buses were torched and people were killed. Martin Ojarama Penduzi, the local council chairman for Guru District, says the time of challenges of life during the LLA insurgency made Guru residents to be more resilient. Our people uh, learned so much from that period. And uh, now people are more involved in a lot of productive activities. And so uh, that bad experience has turned into something positive that is driving the development of this town. Yeah. Mapinduzi says both the government and non-government organizations are giving people loans and incentives to start businesses. But he says the war has left many psychosocial consequences such as a high number of orphans and widows. It is estimated that the LRA abducted more than 30,000 children and displaced about 2 million others. Reporting for Daybreak Africa, Ayamugume, Davis Rwakarinj in Kampala, Uganda. Violence continues to flare in the Central African Republic despite an election that brought a new government to the country in February. At times, the fighting is between Muslim and Christian militia. But in late November, two different groups tied to the Muslim Seleka militia fought in the northeastern town of Bria, leaving an estimated 85 civilians dead and 80 wounded. The violence also displaced nearly 13,000 people, which is nearly 20% of the city's population. VOS Zach Badoff reports from Bria on the aid organizations working to fill some of the critical needs. 
Salamatu Abu Bakr walks to a nearby water pump inside a makeshift refugee camp. She arrived here in late November after fighting broke out in her neighborhood between armed groups. Fighters came to her house and robbed her. She says, I'm scared because I have nobody to help me and I'm a bit blind, so I'm scared about the future. The mother of eight children says she's afraid to return to her neighborhood. Yet in the camps, she says there's not enough food or blankets. She says, you can see my kids sleeping on the floor without blankets. She goes on to say, I have nothing to cook, nothing left, and I'm worried about getting by. About 5,000 people live in the displaced persons camp. Jean-Louis Banda Dumba says he was the first to arrive. The 42-year-old used to be a fighter himself, but volunteered to turn in his gun as part of demobilization efforts. In late November, he ran to the United Nations base for protection. Militants have called him, threatening to kidnap him for putting down his weapon. I'm just telling them that I'm just here to avoid problems, he says, not to betray anybody. Dumba says, I don't want to take any risk to my life by leaving here. I gave up my weapon for peace. I don't want war. Dumba says the people are here because their neighborhoods are still insecure. But he says the people in the camp need more help because they are stuck there and can't go home. Pierre Burgos of Oxfam says aid organizations are working to fill the gaps. So still a lot of needs uh, here on the site and in the neighborhoods. So people have access now to water and sanitation and hygiene, but still needs uh, apparently in terms of shelter, uh, in terms of uh, access to food. Dr. Oliver Mudwende is the field manager for International Medical Corps in Bria, and he's seen a quick rise in medical needs. In terms of medical, there was need in terms of uh, for patients who have having malnutrition, but also there was need of uh, pregnant women preventing disease in those camps. Plenty of cases of diarrhea, respiratory disease, plenty of cases of uh, malaria. This is also the, result, the direct result of the fighting. Madwende says it's tough for his team to do its work because of the poor security situation. It means it was difficult to move around. Uh, all the shops were closed and uh, there was plenty of soldiers around, around the town, everywhere. Civilians told VOA that the roughly 250 UN troops in Bria did nothing to stop the fighting. Although the UN mission reports, its troops patrol the city and have taken steps to protect refugee camps. Zach Badorf for VOA News, Central African Republic. President Salva Kiir has asked the South Sudanese to forgive him for past mistakes. The president made the apology Wednesday during an end-of-year speech before the National Legislative Assembly. He also ordered government forces to observe a ceasefire and create a conducive environment for communities to reconcile. President Salva Kiir also called for a national dialogue, one that he said would include people from all sectors of society as the three-year conflict drags on in parts of the country. And that's it for this Thursday, December 15th edition of Daybreak Africa. Join us again tomorrow for more African news and features right here on the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. 
On behalf of the Debrek Africa crew, producer Nicole Beckford, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing all of you in Africa a good day. On Africa News Tonight, we let the sound tell the story, putting you in the middle of events from Africa's news to world crises. Africa News Tonight comes to you live from the Voice of America, Monday through Friday at 1600 and 1800 UTC on the following shortwave frequencies, 6080 kilohertz, 49.3 meter band, and 15580 kilohertz, 19.2 meter band. We are also live on the internet at www.voaafrica.com. 